Hello and welcome to the EMS Improv Podcast, where we engage, where we are mindful, and we tell or share our stories. I am Eric Chase, and we are powered by GEMS. Today's guest and me have a long, long history of 2 to 3 a.m. storytelling. Um, ladies and gentlemen, these conversations talked about service, sacrifice, silliness, mental health, family, compassion, vulnerability, and perspective. We've uh, spanned the spectrum of things, and when I asked him if he'd like to come on the podcast, before I knew even more about his history, he said, yeah, probably. I, I have a lot of stuff to sh- uh, share. <laughs> um, but without that being, without further being said, he is a son, he's a husband, he's a father, he is a Marine, he is a combat veteran, and he served with the 1st Company Engineering Battalion. Combat. Uh, combat Engineering Battalion. what I say? Company. So you're already arguing with me. Uh-huh. I love that, as the Marine does. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, I didn't introduce you yet for you to talk. No. no you're good. <laughs> Thank you. No, you're I love it. All right. With that being said, he's currently serves in law enforcement. For all you haters out there, we get it. But I'm going to show you a different perspective about a human being that doesn't see himself as a gun-toting, knuckle-dragging slob. And, uh, just wants to take people to prison, lock them up, take them to jail. We're going to go all over the place. This is going to be an important conversation uh, he's already touched my heart. Hopefully, I think we've made a good connection there. But uh, he's he's a good man, and and we all have our crosses to bear. Yes, I brought religiosity into play. Go to hell. I can't do anything about that. Um, but he 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 comes with a heart and a passion, and we want you to listen. Uh, this man is. We're going to call him Joe. Uh, he's a public servant. We both served our country. Uh, we both still serve our our communities in different capacities. So without further ado, and with as little swearing as we can, and, and the arguments will be good. Um, that part's going to be difficult. Well, <laughs> Maureen, I'd like to welcome you. Joe will call you a uh, good human being. Uh, welcome you. to the MSN Pro Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so as, as we were talking earlier and, and well before we got to this point where we're actually sitting here in front of my microphone. Yeah. You are a, you are a marine. Marines still consider themselves marines from beginning. Yeah, that never goes away. That does not go away. Never goes away. Um, what was your motivation, passion, decision making to become a marine? Well, so in high school, my uh, my dad and I, um, he had a he was a industrial salesman and hated his job. So um, it just so happened that when he decided to go to seminary to become a pastor, I was going into high school. And so my dad had to uh, basically live off his 401k. You know, we, we, we didn't have a hard life by any means. Um, but um, I kind of looked at it and in, in my mind, you know, I didn't, my parents never told me how much they had in the bank, but um, I looked at it and I was like, I'm, I'm too stupid to get a scholarship for academics. Uh, had way too many concussions in football to get a scholarship to play that. I didn't play sports anymore. Um, so, Basically, what it boiled down to was I didn't want to be a burden to my parents as far as trying to pay for school, and I didn't want to go into massive student debt. So I looked at it, and I was like, eh, well, what's the what's the next best thing? You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that it was out of patriotism or anything like that, just being real. It, it wasn't. It was – I didn't see a better option for me. So – and I thought about it, and I walked into the recruiter's office, and – I forget who it was. It was, it was either a Navy or an Air Force guy. And I walked in and I just asked him, hey, wait, what's the hardest one? And he pointed to the Marine Corps and I walked in there, signed up, and I was in the delayed entry program. 
And so I left for boot camp 10 days after I graduated high school. So, so doing the delayed entry program, you were 17 when you, no, I was, no, I was 18, but I hadn't graduated high school yet. So I signed up, I think it was like January, something like that. So I had to wait, you know, I had five, whatever months it was until I left. And then, uh, and then, yeah. So like when I picked my MOS, um, I had had summer jobs and, you know, built custom houses and everything and construction. So I thought, you know, well, I like doing that. So I'll just, I, I went to the 1300 field, which is construction and all that stuff. Um, but naively, I didn't, it didn't, it didn't comprehend or compute in my head that, hey, there's a war going on, dumbass. So they're going to put you probably in a combat role. It didn't even dawn on me. I, I went in. If you could, if you could custom build the most ignorant person to enlist in the military, it was me. Okay. I was just, I was dumb as shit. All right. So, <laughs> Joe, I, I've just got a, I've, I've written down several notes and, and for the listening audience that, that I think maybe heard a few things, they, they maybe saw an example of some level of self-awareness where he's just showing with us right now. He had very little in his enlistment status. I want to come back to that. Uh, <laughs> we talked about traumatic brain injury. He said concussions very early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played rugby. I played soccer. I played football. Um, and aside from whatever have happened in the military or law enforcement in yeah. my roles and capacities, I want us to talk about TBI. Oh, yeah. No, I think no. we both yeah. uh, probably suffered from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, definitely. A concussion is a traumatic brain injury. Yeah. But where where, and, and the manifestations and how they go. Um, you said too stupid. I want, to, I want you to take that out of your uh, vocabulary. I want you to take that out of your mindset. It's about being mindful. You are self-aware. You're a good yeah. person. I understand what you're saying then. Yeah. But I'm going to call you out now. No, it's fine. Don't say that. Okay. But you're talking about stupid, right? So I just call it, do as I say, not as I do. I graduated college mm-hmm. as a dumb A. Uh, then that's ASZ for the people that don't hear swearing. ASZ, I'm a dumb ass. Um, I enlisted in the Army, went down to Fort Benning. Mm-hmm. And again, this was without any mental awareness of what was going on. And, and this was in uh, the 90s, early 90s. Okay. So there, there was a... a impending war getting ready to happen mm-hmm. and, and i know you were involved in in mm-hmm. skirmishes wars uh between iraq and afghanistan yeah. but it's the same thing one i enlisted after graduating mm-hmm. not smart and then two <laughs> uh went pogue boot yep. infantry mm-hmm. and was a tow gunner where if you're going to see combat they have the republican guard and tanks yeah. that's probably not the, the brightest decision making Depends on what you want to do, but yes. So clarification of ideas and what you want to do was not my strong suit at the time either. Yeah. So I hear you when you say that, and and it is a good point, ladies and gentlemen, where Joe does have a lot of self awareness. So we're going to get to that in a, in a much deeper dive. Yeah. And in his perspective, but you, I want to go all the way back to saying you didn't want to be a burden. Mm-hmm. That is really telling about the makeup of a human being from their kind of early adolescence or mid adolescence that you were aware of that. And whether your parents ever would have felt that way or not, because we do, Mm -hmm. you've made a a conscious choice. So do you want to unpack that burden kind of perspective a little bit? So um, the burdensome part is, you know, I wasn't, I knew that college wasn't free and I knew that, um, you know, growing up, I don't want to, my, my parents gave me a lot of, a lot of free reign, not in a bad way, but you know, I was driving vehicles by the time I was three 
And it wasn't, my parents weren't those, weren't the types to be like, oh no, it's unsafe. You can't do that. It's like, no, go do it. Just, just go, go, go do it. Whatever, whatever it is you want to do, um, within reason, obviously. But, um, but I just felt like I understood what it was and I was probably, my mindset wasn't, it wasn't geared towards school. I hated school, hated every minute of it. Like I shouldn't have passed high school. My teacher's I don't know why I passed or how I passed, but I did. Um, but I knew that because uh, what was going through my head, if I went to college, right, it was going to be frat parties and stuff like that. And I'd have probably failed out within the first year. I, I just and it would have been it would have been wasted time. It then, you know, and I had I had enough self-awareness to understand that about myself. But at the same time, you know, I'm 18 years old. I have literally no clue what I'm doing. And you're just kind of shooting from the hip, as we all were when we were 18. I don't think anybody, you know, if they're being honest with themselves, knew what they were doing when they were 18 years old. We're, we were all dumb. And, um, you know, I, I, had a, I had a really close connection with my parents, especially especially my mom. Um, and just seeing, you know, because we, we went to colleges and visited and everything. And, you know, looking at tuition, I was like, uh, no. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. And I'd been working since I was 13. So, you know, it was, it was one of those things where I could, I could get out and I didn't want to stay where I was because where I grew up was, uh, it's in a town, it's Warrington, Missouri. And I don't know if anybody knows where that is, but it's east or west of St. Louis, about an hour. And I grew up, it was 15, 20 minute drive to the nearest grocery store. Not that we were, you know, podunk redneck idiots, but um, I grew up back in the woods and just like, I wasn't close to anything. My friends were all 45 minutes away. I went to private school. Um, so it was like a 45 minute to an hour drive to school every day there, like there. And then an hour back. Um, so I never had that, you know, you know, that's, you know, that type of person that, uh, that grows up. My, my wife's like this. She, she grew up and she was born in the town, raised in the town, stayed in the town, went to high school in the town, never left until, she was 18. I never had that where, you know, I felt, I felt a close connection to, to a, to a place. Um, but I had seen, I had seen those people when I was growing up, you know, the people that their, their glory days are their or the Friday night lights in high school. And that, and that's what they hang their hat on for the rest of their lives. It's like, you know, and, and more power to you, whatever, whatever you want to do, whatever you, whatever makes you feel comfortable, fine. Just for me. No, I'm, I'm, I'm good on that. I wanted more. So I, I hear that. And, and it's interesting because you know that uh, the company EMS Improv LLC, mm -hmm. um, good little plug. Thank you. John. <laughs> but specifically, I say that because you know that we do a lot about self-awareness, self-actualization, yeah. removing the burdens, the facades, the layers, the armor that we wear yeah. to be uh, the most authentic human that we can be. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about uh, um, growth in relationships. Uh, my first wife, uh, I mean, I cheated on her. It, yeah. Not perfect. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, every, well, none, of us, none of us are in every deployment though. I, I, I drank and, and, and cheated. Uh, finally, I, when I told her, um, you know, I ended up destroying multiple lives. I, I have a son that'll be 30 this year. Mm -hmm. We don't have a strong relationship. And, and a lot of it goes back to the divorce. Mm -hmm. And at some point I say, you know, son, you got to grow up because I am not all of the reasons that you have problems. Yeah. 
the divorce didn't help at, a, at such a young age. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, grow up. Because, you know, I didn't tell you to commit assault and battery. I didn't tell you to get caught with drugs. I didn't tell you to, you know, and all these things mm-hmm. my son's done. Mm-hmm. So it's all public record. I'm not sharing anything outside of turn. And if he listens to this, I love you. Um, I don't know if you will. Mm-hmm. At the same time, when you're talking about that self-actualization, and you said all more power to them. But you just knew that whatever it was, you needed to break out of. And that might be a bad analogy. Did you feel like you had to break out or was it just you needed to find a new journey? Well, no, because because here, you know, like we're, we, when we're kids, right, you know, I, and I don't know. Some, some people have their identity nailed down from the time they're five. Right. They, they know what they are and they know what they want to be. They know this. They know that. Um, I wasn't like that. I, I went through, you know, the, the identity phases, if you will. Um, you know, I, I was the cheesy prep kid for a little bit in, in high school and then wore Wranglers, white t-shirts and cowboy boots. You know, I was just trying to find, and, and, and I know what it is now. I felt kind of stupid at the time because I didn't, I didn't understand where I fit in, but, um, and it's not to say that, Oh, what was me? I didn't have friends. No, I had a lot of friends, but, um, so it wasn't it wasn't trying to to get more friends. It was just I was trying to figure out who I was, and I don't know if I figured that out until I was thirty. You know, so it was a long journey for me to figure that out. But you know, the the thing that I had to come to realize was, you know, and my, and my sister will she'll she'll whoop my ass about this all the time. She's younger like, or older? Sister. Oh, she's younger. Okay. She's younger, and she'll still she, shake your butt. Oh, she well. Mentally, okay. she's my sister is one of the most amazing humans on the face of the planet, and I love her to death. And she, she was one of those that had her identity down mm. very early on. You know, she knew she liked reading. She was always good at art. Still is. She's an interior designer now. She went to uh, there's a prestigious college in Tennessee, I'll say, um, that she went to for interior design. And it's probably one of the best schools in the nation. And she graduated. She wasn't summa cum laude or whatever the top person is, but she was really high up in her class. She's hugely intelligent. Um, but, you know, she had that picked out like from the very beginning. She knew what she was going to be. And here I am. And, and if you and if you put me and her next to each other, you would never guess that we're siblings. You would like we're like polar opposite of each other. I'm impulsive and I make. I make rash decisions like, like that truck that's outside. Right. We can get to that. Uh, I heard that from two blocks away. Cause, by the way. Yeah. Cause, cause, <laughs> cause you'll, you'll actually laugh at this story. So, so, and this is going to sound really bad, but <laughs> so, um, my wife's biological father, who she was never, she was kind of close with, but not, not in the way that, you know, she is with her, with her stepdad. Anyways, he died over, uh, it was during Valentine's. And, you know, I had been looking for a truck for a while. And uh, so she leaves me unsupervised with my two little boys, right? And so one day I just get this wild hair. I'm like, I look at my boys. I was like, hey, you want to go look at trucks? I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's go. I called her up while she was in Kansas or Nebraska. And I was like, hey, uh, just so you know, I did something. And she's like, what'd you do? And I sent her a picture and you could see the steam coming out of her eyes. So. Yes, I bought my truck on an impulse while my wife was dealing with her biologically dead father in Nebraska. 
there's a lot there to unpack psycho- psychologically. Um, I don't know if that that should be the the topic of, of or the furtherance of, of conversation here, but I think it'll be interesting when we loop back around yeah. to some of our decision making and impulsivity. Mm-hmm. Um, is it all right if I share a little bit of something from this last week? Yeah, absolutely. Since I know that you're mm-hmm. the, you're truly the main focus, and I appreciate you being here. Tom. Yeah. So my wife came down to Fort Lauderdale, actually Hollywood, Florida, uh, where I was invited to do um, a couple presentations at mm-hmm. the first there first to care gathering of Eagles conference. Fire chiefs, nurses, physicians from across the country and world. Is this the one you're telling me about? Yes. yes. Okay. So with with all that being said, my wife came to the second presentation. It was an hour and a half. And she sat in the far back of the room. She she's if you saw her, you'd look, wow, she's a very strong and powerful, uh, mm-hmm. well put together woman on, on every level. Um, she'll tell you that she's very um not outgoing, but introverted. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, I read your mind. She came to one of the presentations. She had never been, and, and she's not been a, a big drum banging, flag waving, super supporter of it because I, in all actuality, owe more from my travel at this point than, and, and I make money, mm-hmm. but it's it, it costs money, right? Yeah, to, yeah. to have a business. Yeah. So she she was all pissed, and she's like, "Well, you you technically owe the Chase family a thousand and forty five dollars. Hell, you know, I'm making that in in next month." And mm-hmm. she's like, "Yeah." Fine, whatever. And then she found out about uh, credit card debt that I had. That uh, <laughs> I'm like, it's giving us points for the airlines. Yeah. Yeah. But anyhow, so yeah, I can rationalize it, and, and yet she's just looking at me, and I can see because I saw my wife's face. I can uh-huh. imagine what your wife's face looked like through the uh, mm-hmm. through the uh, couple hundred or several hundred miles between here and, and Nebraska. Well, luckily, luckily enough, you know, <laughs> it, it's kind of uh, it's kind of been the norm. In our marriage, so it's not when it first started happening, you know, because can't tell you why I do these things. I just I want something, and if I run the like, I'm not I'm not financially so irresponsible that I'm just going to go out and buy the most random stuff and then bury my family financially. I don't do that. If I run the numbers and and I can make it work, I only live once, so why not do it now? You know, if I can work it, then yeah, I'm going to do it. And, and I appreciate that thoughtfulness and, and three things that stood out. Um, many of our brothers and sisters don't think about the outcome until the effect, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, burying our families in debt. Yeah. And and that's a tough, tough place that we've seen many of our brothers and sisters in. It is. And so just, just to say out loud, um, through GEMS, through uh, several other websites, that if you follow me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, or Instagram, we share those regularly, whether you're in financial debt, emotional, uh, struggling, mental health, illness, anything like that. We're here to help you. Um, you're not going to know who Joe is, but I, I, I can promise you Joe is an advocate for the people and men and women he works with and the mm-hmm. brothers and sisters he served with. Help is there. So that's mm-hmm. the first thing, uh, bearing your family in debt because we make decisions. And going back to my wife, I said, what do you see in me when when you believe that I've been triggered? Yeah. And she says, you roll your eyes, you grit your teeth, and you clench your fist, mm-hmm. and you get tensed up. And uh, so we do make these outward demonstrations yes. based upon how we're feeling. One of the other cool things that uh, you said was, if you can make it work, you're going to do it because we only live once. Mm-hmm. Um, that brings up loss. Well, and, and, that, and that stems back to... Um, the Marine Corps, and I, I'm not. I'm not blaming the Marine Corps for like the Marine Corps made me think this way. But all right, devil dog. Yeah, okay. yeah. But 
But when, and this is something that I'm sure you can resonate with. If, if you think, you know, this next deployment, I'm going to die, you know, and that's really in your head because when we were getting briefed to go to Afghanistan, it was, you're probably not coming home. So in my mind, just thinking about it, it's like, well, if I, if I'm not going to live another 10 months, then what the hell does it matter? I mean, you know, I'm not going to, and I still had the, I still had the awareness to understand that, you know, I can't go out and take a massive loan out and buy a Ferrari, but you know, I had a nice truck. I've, I've always had nice vehicles and just cause I, I love vehicles. Um, but when you, when you, when you think you're, you're not going to live past a certain time there, it, it, there's a certain psychological switch that happens where, you know, you, you look at people now and, and like, I'll, I'll bring up Dave Ramsey, right? No debt and all this stuff, which is great. It's great. Mentally for me, I don't have the patience to deal with that because in, in my head, I make money to enhance my life. I, you know, I have to pay my bills. I have to do this. I have to, I, I have all these responsibilities, but at the end of the day, what can I take with me when I die? I can't take any of it with me. So as long as I don't bury my family financially and make it a burden on them, if something were to happen, I don't see an issue with, you know, like, like my home gym, for instance, right? I've, that's probably $7,000 in gym equipment in my, in my, in my garage that yes, did I go into debt to get that? Yes, I did, but I paid it off. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's these type of decisions and I'm not advocating that people mimic what I do. I'm just saying for me, it works because my mental state is, and it has been for a while that, you know, if, if I'm going to die tomorrow, I want to, I want to live life to the fullest right now. Um, you have to be, you have to be responsible. You, you have to understand that, but if it can be done, I'm going to do it. You, um, thank you for sharing that. And, and for those of you out there that are going, you're, you're completely ludicrous from either, either perspective. <laughs> oh, and I've heard it before. And, and like, you have, right? Oh yeah. yeah. You're um, an idiot. Why would you do that? You may or may not have faced, uh, the fragility of life or seen, seen death face to face which uh, you, you and I both have mm-hmm. in, in, in conflict and, and also in public safety. Yeah. So in saying all of that, darkness kind of sets in and, and we have uh, low-key anxiety. We have depression. And I don't want anybody to tell me that I've been depressed. You know, don't put that in my record, doctor, because no. that, 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 that's an identifier that I don't want to have a, mm-hmm. a label. Yeah. Can I tell you that I've been low-key depressed before? Yeah. Can I tell you that my wife told me that I needed to find my joy because I, I wasn't engaged. I wasn't living life. And this was in 2016 after our, our first grandson was almost a year old. Mm-hmm. So I was doing things adversely, if, if only by not actively in, engaging in living life. Yeah. I was letting life pass me by. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if I shared this with you. And if I have, I apologize. And, mm-hmm. and, and most of the listeners, I don't think have heard this. I had my first heart attack when I was 33. You did tell me that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then in 2015, I was flying for uh, an air medical company. Mm-hmm. I got into the base. I was just doing the night overshift. I f- got flown back to the city, to the heart hospital that, uh, that I went to. Mm-hmm. 
Um, she was my girlfriend at the time, met us there. It was about an hour plus flight. So that was a Monday night, Tuesday, Wednesday got cast. Thursday, I'm sitting in the uh, chair beside my bed and I started feeling nauseated. And with that, um, I asked my wife to call the, the nurse. And, and so I obviously didn't feel well because I didn't want or need people to do things for me, yeah. let alone very rarely ask them to do that because mm-hmm. the nurse call button's here. And if I have any intestinal fortitude or desire to take care of myself, which it was 99 times out of 100, mm-hmm. my wife still tells me to this day, you're not a bachelor. We're in this together. We, you don't need to do things alone. Mm-hmm. And I feel overwhelmed. Yeah. So in that moment back in the hospital, the last thing that I remember is my wife sitting in the corner. And then waking up to the the whole code team. Mm-hmm. So for however long that was, I was not physically alive. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to this place that wasn't a place. And I'm not saying that intentionally to say place, but I wasn't in a there or a here. Mm-hmm. And it was very sterile and it was very quiet. And, and then all of a sudden I'm back in chaos, mm-hmm. but I'm alive in chaos. Mm-hmm. And isn't that interesting I have been alive in chaos my entire life because of either things in my family, yeah. things in my job, or things that I have done wrong and had to suffer the consequences. To be alive back in chaos and to finally be seeing it and feeling it all the way into my brain, mm-hmm. I think that's the first time, even though I started, hadn't started living my joy, that I was not just numb to everything that I'd ever been through. Yeah. So. When you have been through chaos and and you live in chaos Mm -hmm. and our dopamine receptors in our brain are firing all the time and and you've been in combat and I've been in uh, violent situations and hostage situations and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We feed off of that. Not only the training, Mm -hmm. but the actions. You know, did you love getting shot at or in the direction of? Love? No. And at the same time... But was it fun? Yes. So what our dopamine is releasing, and we're in this loop cycle of, oh, yeah. So we are in the state of flow. Mm -hmm. We're not longer caring about our performance because it's about getting the job done. Mm -hmm. And that's a safe place to be in. Well, it is because you have... have, it's, it's, It's life broken down to its most simple, right? Bad guy, me. He shoots me, I die. I shoot him, he dies. It's it's a very simple equation. I just have to be better than him. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can do that. You know, and and God may come in and punch your card right then. You 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 don't know. But um, and there's only you know the bad guy always gets a vote. But we can what we do is we try to stack the odds in our favor as much as we can. And then, but but in that in those environments, you're absolutely correct. It is just it's pure chaos. And once your mind and your psyche have been tuned into operating in chaos, it's very hard to bring that back and then live in everyday life and feel, will feel anything really. Um, cause that was like, like when I got out, you know, cause I've only been in law enforcement for, is it three, three years now? Um, and that was one of the things that, that I I struggled with super, super bad. Because, you know, you get out, you have, you know, I had my brothers in the Marine Corps. Uh, we did everything together. You know, live, sleep, eat, drink, do do everything together. Um, and you have these shared experiences where, you know, you can laugh at just 
complete, like the dark humor that we have, it's fine in that environment. But then you go back to your hometown where you're from and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm alone. Like I can't relate to anybody here. And it's that from, it almost, it almost broke me because, um, and that, that was one of the things that, that I, that I, I know you, I don't know if I've told you this or not, but, um, so my son was born in uh, 2013 and I was living in Missouri where, where I'm from, um, had my wife and everything. Uh, and she was working and I was going to school and, um, didn't have any of my Marine Corps buddies around. You know, I didn't, I didn't have anybody that, that I could relate to. Um, and so, you know, I had, I had people that I'd go drink with and, you know, whatever, but it finally got to a point for me where I had, I had one of two options. Either I was going to go back and do contracting and go back overseas. Cause you know, war is an addictive drug. It just is. Um, or I wasn't going to be here anymore. And you, what do you mean by that? I know what you mean for, yeah. for the audience. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to kill myself. Yeah. Um and and it's not and it's and it's really weird. So 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 when a lot when people say kill yourself, right? They think and I and I'm speaking generalities here. They think, you know, the depressed veteran who's on 17 different psych meds and what whatever the case may be, but they they generally equate suicide with depression. For me, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily hopeless. I wanted my mind to shut off yep. and I didn't have anybody around me that was, that, that was in the, those same experiences where I could, I could vent my thoughts. Right. So I, I can try to talk to my wife and, and my wife's great. I, and I love her to death, but, but she has not had those same experiences. So when I talk about, Oh yeah. So, you know, this one time I, I don't like having flashbacks or whatever, she's going to, and she's done this before because I've I've tried to engage that way, and she's just like, "Oh gosh, it's way too much." Like, stop, 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 stop. Um, which you know I understand because she hasn't, her brain hasn't been wired that way, and she and I don't want to put that burden on her. But a lot of guys, and I and I know this from talking to fellow veterans. I haven't talked to as many cops about this, um, but. But I imagine it's kind of the same thing. You know, you get into these stressful, you live stress and chaos all the time. And then you try to relate to other people outside the job. That's why a lot of cops don't have a lot of friends outside of law enforcement because they can't relate. It's nothing, it's nothing that that person, that other person did, but you want somebody to relate to. You want a tribe that understands what, what you've gone through and kind of to bounce thoughts off each other and everything like that. So um, but I, and I, I say all that to say this. So I called up one of my buddies, he's my brother-in-law now, and he is, I credit him with inadvertently saving me from, from that. Yeah. Um, and he didn't do anything overt. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything profound, like, Oh dude, you need to do this and this and this. He just told me, he's like, Hey, before you do that, just come down to Oklahoma, try to work and you'll, you'll, you can live in my house. You can stay with me. Um, and just see how it works before you go off and do something rash and stupid. Okay. And that led me to here. So one of the things, and I know, I know you and I have talked about this a lot, but one of the things, and I didn't realize it at the time, but 
one of the things that we as first responders, as vets, as as all these stigmas, we have to be comfortable with vulnerability. We have to be. Because if we're not vulnerable, then nobody knows exactly what we're going through and we can't get help. I'm not saying that you have to go into the VA and go talk to some grad student who really doesn't give a shit about how you feel. They're just there to collect a paycheck. Because I know we've all seen that, right? You have to have people that you're comfortable around, but at the same time, you have to be you have to be willing to be vulnerable and and share your feelings. Like, go go ahead. Go ahead. Well, with that, and thank you. Good God. So even even though I know it, I wasn't going to be here anymore, meant first of all, you hear you then say I was going to die by suicide. I was going to mm-hmm. kill myself. Mm-hmm. Um. It makes it that much more real. Yeah. And, and and so a myth about talking about suicide mm-hmm. is that it will make it more likely for somebody to die by suicide. A complete and utter myth. No. But talking about it, being honest about it is, is actually going to be more beneficial because that person that resonates with that person. Mm-hmm. And if they get it and they understand and they are vulnerable enough, we know that that left prefrontal cortex and the amygdala, the hippocampus are going to are going to they're going to be frightened, but they're feeling again. Yeah. And they, that they have that camaraderie, that connection, that actual grasping or engagement with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that's usually where we see people make those initial breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that they're not going to die by suicide later? No. no. And, and we know that from operators to firefighters to cops to to, to the businessman or woman mm-hmm. that, uh, that have been successful in recovery and their mm-hmm. mental health. And then uh, you said something very, very early on, the impulsivity of, of human hu- humanity. Mm-hmm. And then those of us that have been trained to kill, 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 fight, 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 uh, survive, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. um, if you think I'm not going to, I'm always going to survive. And if I'm going to die, what better to do than do it by myself, to do it to myself? There's almost power and control, right? Well, there's power and control. But but the biggest thing for me, and, and, and I'm, granted, I can only speak about my own experience in this. So... It wasn't, I didn't want to die. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't look at it like I was, I looked at it like an off switch for mm-hmm. me. And, and what I mean by that is the, the hyper awareness, the, you know, the, just the overload on your mind. And in, in combat, you have an outlet for that. And so you can, you can take that hyper awareness and then, you can use it. Whereas in the civilian world, you know, you're living, you're sitting on the couch and you're, you're pinging at 9,000 RPM. You can only do that for so long before you're so smoked and your but your mind is still going at this rate and you can't shut it off. So I never, I don't want people to misconstrue what I was saying. Like, you know, I was just super depressed and I just wanted to kill myself. No, that what it was, was it was a vessel for quiet. I love that. So a vessel for quiet because of all of the things your mind yes. wouldn't shut off. You didn't have or know how to control the shut off switch. Well, exactly. And then, and then, cause you go into, cause I know probably a lot of your audience probably has problems sleeping. They probably have problems with the, the running thoughts, the, the hyper alertness, all these things. Um, cause I wasn't sleeping, you know, I'd, I'd sleep for an hour and 45 minutes and then wake up and I'd be drenched in sweat. And, and with that, so sleeplessness lends itself to impulsivity, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's the correlations to you as an officer knowing that uh, if somebody says, man, 
where are you going? Where are you headed? Why are you asking me these questions? One, you want to find out why, what may be leading up to their behavior. Mm -hmm. Now, do they have to help you with their investigation? No. And at the same time, are you trying to be an asshole when you ask these questions? No. no. Uh, some cops may be perceived as, but when they say they've been driving for 12 or 13 hours and they had just gotten off of work after an eight or 10 hour shift, you know that this is cumulatively now over 20 hours. Yeah. They are going to show or indicate signs or symptoms of being under the influence of drugs or alcohol mm -hmm. and just their sleeplessness, right? Yeah. So when an officer pulls you over and asks you some of these questions, no, you're not obliged to help them or assist them in any way with their investigation. But please do. But please do. Yeah, because that creates a human transaction relational interaction that you all say you're begging for anyhow and, and you hate that robot cops come up there in, in these towns and just give you tickets because they're making so much money off of them not happening either right well but you said some robot cops right yeah so and and i was and in in the short time that i've been in this field um i think it, it, it's a vicious cycle right the public distrusts us, so then we in turn then distrust the public, and so it's just it just goes round and round and round and round and round. And where where does that get us? It gets us to nowhere. So what I always try to do, and granted I'm not perfect at this, but what I always try to do is, um, you know, on a, on your typical stop, right? I treat that person like a human, and um, you know I know that it's inconvenient. I know that it's, you know, you probably don't enjoy being stopped by the police. I, I get it. I understand. Um, but some some of the things that I've that I've tried to tell people is, okay, so I'm doing my job, right? And my job is to enforce laws, right? And you broke a law, so I am enforcing that law. Now you may or may not get a ticket out of it, but um, I always try to equate it like when people when people are slightly asshole-ish on the side of the road, and when I'm performing my duties as a law enforcement officer, sometimes I'll ask them, it's like, okay, well, what do you do? Oh, I'm I'm this. I'm a I'm an HR manager. Okay, so HR manager, how does it make you feel when you are just doing your job, being human resources, and someone comes in and is like, "You're doing your job shitty. Like, fuck you." Like, I'm just doing my job. Like, I understand it's inconvenient, and you don't like the policies that our company has. But then again. These are the policies that our company has. And, and in many and, cases, legally binding. Yeah, it's legally binding. Yeah. So I have to enforce these. You may not like it, but I have to enforce it. So, or do you like it when somebody comes in and, hey, I'm just going to use somebody's name. Hey, Mike, um, you know, we have these allegations. This is just procedural, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, okay. You know, and they may have some kickback, but in a respectful manner. So that's what I always try to encourage people to do is just understand that, that, that when we are pulling you over, we're not doing it to be dicks. We're, we have a job to do and you broke a law and you're the outcome of the stop. I don't want to say it's, it's, it's dictated on the individual's attitude, but at least with me, if you're respectful and nice and when I'm performing my duties, generally I'm more lenient. You know, because the, the respect is reciprocal. Officers have discretion. Mm -hmm. And 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 barring certain obvious infractions. Yeah, things that we can't look past. That, that you're not going to be able to look past. There, there is discretion. So what you're saying is a person that uh, was a big, scary Marine and, and, a, and a big dummy that was too stupid 
and I'm using your words, but I know, I know right. you are. That <laughs> um, you actually care about yourself, and that translates to caring about other people. Yeah. And well, and and like and so so do you know who Travis Haley is? Yes. Okay. So he was. Uh, I was listening to one of his things, and he was he was asking the question, uh, "What's one of the most integral parts of a warrior?" And you know, a lot of people think it's. Well, you have to be a you have to be a great gunfighter. You have to be mean. You have to be this, and and what he said, and I agree with this. The most integral part of being a warrior is compassion. You have to be compassionate, um, because when you show compassion, you you have you have to be able to show compassion, but at the same time be a sledgehammer. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, um. And, I, and it really resonated with me because, like, for instance, there, there was one we – we were in the back of an armadillo. This is in Afghanistan, right? And, and we had a couple of detainees, and, you know, they're, they're Afghanis, and they were fighting against us. So um, automatically, most people think, yeah, fuck those dudes. Like, I, no, no. I, like, I, I would take you out back and shoot you in the head right now if I could, but I can't. So they were getting treated. Um, I'll say – Probably as most people would in that situation, um, and it was very profound. And I'm, and again, I'm not saying that I am perfect in this situation by any stretch of the imagination. But in that moment, what I saw was I saw a an individual who we are in his home, his homeland, his land, right? And I know he's fighting against us. Cool, whatever. It's war. Yeah, people fight against us all the time. But you know, their hands are bound. They're they have the goggles on. They can't see what they're doing. They, they, they're, you know, we took them, right? You're, you're fighting, so we had every right to. But people were laughing and kind of smacking them around a little bit and everything. And I just was like, stop. Stop right now. And so, and I looked at it and I was like, okay, these dudes, they, they don't pose a threat anymore. Right now, they don't pose a threat. Yeah. So, and we tried to give them water. You know, all the water in Afghanistan is hot. Because it's hot and we don't have fridges. So I gave him some water and he immediately spit it out almost in my face. And because it's hot. So he, th- he thought it was piss oh, is what he thought. Okay. So what I did was I, I lifted up his goggles. It's actual water. And put his goggles back down and handed him the bottle. And he drank it. What were these blackout goggles? Well, oh, I mean, they, yes. Okay. Basically. In other words, so that they weren't able to determine they, they, the location. They, could, they couldn't see what we were giving yeah. them. So, and I understand, and, you know, put yourself in their shoes, right? Because I always think, like, how would I want to be treated if I was taken captive? Right? I would want to be treated well. Not saying I'm going to be, but I would want I would want to be treated well. Um, and, again, I'm not saying that that was one instance in a whole deployment, right? So I'm, I'm taking a little bit out of context, but I use it to show that in that instance, that, because that might have changed that person. I don't know if it did or not, but the kindness and the compassion that was shown may have changed their mind, may have, but I'd rather it may have than me be an asshole and just turn one dude into a fighter for the rest of his life. I'd rather take that chance that I did change his mind and like, okay, not all Americans are bad, than just go along with the crowd and just smack them up and, you know, like beat the shit out of them and do all the things that we're not supposed to do. But we do. And that's something that you and I share in a faith system called grace. 
Yes. We don't have to love people. We don't have to like people. But if we have grace for another human being yeah. in our human interactions, mm-hmm. it softens the burden that we feel how we may be treating them because we, we have guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. And hopefully at the same time, like you said, it softens that individual. And I mean, we're talking about combat, not just an interaction on the street or, or even pulling somebody over for going, you know, 13 over over the speed limit. And they're complaining, arguing, show me on your phenomenon. And they're like, that's what court's for. Yeah. Whatever, right? Um, but your desire to be truly compassionate, to express your vulnerability, because that is honestly a strength uh, to be uh, vulnerable, to share that makes you or puts you at the next level of, of human individual, despite the trauma that you've seen suffered and, and, and uh, that we've, is it the right word, way to say that we've committed upon people? I mean, committed means intentionally, unintentionally that we've done to, we've had to do, we've been in a position to have to do mm. uh, the, these acts of, of violence, I mm. guess, which, which are traumatic psychologically and physically when, when we're putting our, hands or anything, any other implementation of a weapon downrange or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. So and even, even in, you know, even in law enforcement, right. That I think it, it holds more weight in law enforcement, the compassion side of it than, than it does in, in combat. Yeah. In combat. yeah. Um, Cause you know, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. And yeah. Could you hem somebody up? I mean, there, there are people that, need to go to prison or jail, whichever one you prefer, state charges, municipal, whatever. There are people that need to do that, but not everyone needs to go to jail. Not everyone needs to go to prison. Um, and even on stuff like, even with drugs, like, you know, the whole weed thing here in, mm-hmm. in Oklahoma now. Um, yeah, will I ticket people for it? Yes, I will. But, and I'll, and I'll seize their stuff if they don't have their card. But, do I treat them any different than I would somebody who's doing 15 over? No, I don't. Because at the end of the day, it's weed. You know, and, and I can, nine times out of 10, these people aren't bad people. So I treat them as such. You know, and, but if you're an asshole, sorry, dog, kind of bought it. Like, it's just, it just is what it is. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think I think a lot of cops, and it's and it's I I can speak from where I work. Now, granted, I have never worked in a huge city, and I don't want to. Um, so I know I know a lot of guys in these bigger cities. If they do listen, they're going to have a harder time with this because they deal with dirt bags way more often than I do. So they kind of get numb to it and it, get, it becomes routine. And then it's like, you know, okay, go to jail, go to jail, go to jail. It's just easier for them to do that than have to sit there and be a therapist. You know what I mean? So, yes. Um, which doesn't take away the ability to have a human uh, interaction, uh, 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 an interaction that's relational versus transactional. And I understand that we have to do A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, um, you know, because because of, the uh the likelihood maybe they're more prepared situationally aware for that uh individual that's going to come up out of their uh concealed holster or underneath their steering wheel as soon as you walk up to the a post and start firing Mm -hmm. now maybe their weapon is out more often than not and maybe yours should be more often than not and and all all of that to say this 
you said this very early in the conversation. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know what we're going to live. So we have to live our joy. We have to live our life. We have to seek those Mm -hmm. happinesses in our today. And by being dark and dirty and and dishonest and nasty, or even doing your job, but aggressively, uh, which is one of the reasons I almost was, uh, well, one of the reasons I left the Justice Department was um, I I was just getting so dark. And then Mm -hmm. my behaviors were like, um, oh, you try to stab me? Good. Oh, I couldn't shoot you. Fine. But at this point in time, you've dropped it. You're coming at me. What am I going to do? I'm going to front kick you. I'm going to spin you around and then I'm going to restrain you. But instead of restraining the person, I'm grabbing you by the back of the head, getting ready to smash your head into the wall. Mm-hmm. And I was completely tuned out to everybody around me until they physically grabbed my hand and impeded me from, from, doing, from that. doing that. Yeah. And that's when I knew that I had to make some massive changes emotionally, spiritually, relationally, uh, work-wise, right? Yeah. All of these different things. Yeah. So when the behaviors are manifesting to the point where uh, our wives, our boyfriends, our husbands, our spouses, whomever we live with and hang mm-hmm. around with our kids, our grandchildren, are causing them a, a level of trauma or uncomfortability, mm-hmm. um, is that our rock bottom? Should it be our rock bottom? And And we have both been at much further rock bottoms, but at what point's enough enough and who's going to call us out? Who's going to hold us accountable? I think that all comes back to your, to the support system you have in place and you have to, you know, like, like early on and cause my wife and I have been married for, uh, it'll be 11 years in December. Um, and very early on, she was not, uh, she was not attuned to this uh, principle of radical transparency, right? Where we, where we just express pretty much without filter, and 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 we in a and in a marriage you should be able to do that, right? Now, don't I'm not saying if your wife is being mean, don't walk up to her and call her a bitch. Don't do that because that's dumb. But what I am saying is, when when you're feeling a certain way, you should have the support system in place. Your significant other, your parents whatever the case may be, where you can go to them and be like, hey, look, I am feeling this way right now and I don't know what to do. I need help. I just, I need help. And they may ask prying questions that are really uncomfortable. Like my dad, for instance, he's early on, I didn't want to talk to him um, because I was ashamed. Because he's a pastor or because he's your dad? Well, both. Okay. Both. Mainly because he's my dad Mm -hmm. and, uh, but, you know, there's also that faith aspect because I am very deep in my Christian faith. Um, so, well, like, for instance, right, one of the things that I had that I had probably the hardest time with coming back from deployment was, you know, the, the commandments, thou shalt not kill. Right. But the actual the, the way that I understand this now, people can argue translations and all that stuff, but the way that I have seen it translated in the actual meaning of that commandment is thou shalt not murder. Now, what is murder? Murder is you have preconceived the killing. You, you have thought about killing this person, meditated on it, and then done the action. With meditation and a forethought. So yeah. Murder, homicide to the point where you're, you're desiring to take somebody's life for the benefit of greed, uh, hatred, uh, it's just it's just malice support malice support okay perfect whereas in war both sides agree 
Well, it's, it's an unspoken agreement, but we are engaging in, in this. And the same, the same thing goes for law enforcement, right? When, when a suspect shoots at you, right, that's an unspoken agreement, at least in my book it is. That's an unspoken agreement that, okay, you have engaged me now, okay? And so now, we're, now we understand each other. One of us is going to walk away. Now, I may not kill you and you may not kill me, but one of us is probably going to the hospital after this, if not the morgue. So we, it's an unspoken thing, but that's not, that's not murder. That is not murder in any way, shape or form. The, 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 the spontaneous combat, I'll, I'll call it that, you know, you walk up on a traffic stop and some dude's got a gun and then he starts shooting at you, right? Mm -hmm. You have no preconceived notion that you're going to kill this dude. You don't. With that being said, you have no pre pre preconceived notion you're going to kill this this man or woman. And at the same time, how often are you told that you've been profiling, but we can't even see in the windows anymore? Oh, exactly. You know, <laughs> the, the ethnicity, gender, yeah. the, the likeness of how whomever. So our first interaction that we even know what that person may or may not even identify as mm -hmm. is when they tell us or choose not to tell us. But we don't even make that assumption when we see their physical being. Because you're a human being, mm -hmm. you get even if you don't agree with stuff, you accept things even if even if you disagree, right? Yeah. Which is which is a cool part of being human, which is a good perspective to have after serving in combat, which is you know while serving in law enforcement. Uh, and I and I will say you know a lot of what's and, and this is I didn't wake up one day and and think like this. I didn't wake up and and just you know just have this epiphany this awakening that is like oh now i'm this no this is years of trial and error and making mistakes and messing up to the point where my wife almost leaves me yeah. um you know being an alcoholic you know or i shouldn't say being an alcoholic but having the about one step more and i would have been um, but all this, all this stuff has been a journey and, it, and it's a journey for everybody. If you think that tomorrow you're going to wake up and think 180 degrees differently than you do today, you're absolutely wrong. It's going to be a degree at a time. And it's, and it takes a long time. Some people it takes less time. Um, but I'm just, I, I always have been, I've always been a stubborn person and, um, I, I don't think that's ever going to change. Is that a, is that a. A pride issue, um, loosening the pride, uh, loosening the reins. So you, you talk about this Christian relationship and faith. How much are you trying to usurp the power and control of the div the divine, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? In that, that you're like, no, I got this, God. I I, I got this. And then I'll a lot, yeah, a lot. And and where where I will say it really changed for me was um, when when I understood that really the only thing that I can actually control, the only thing that I can actually control is me. I can't control how other people uh, think. I can't control even my wife, you know, as close as we are, I can't control how she wakes up in the morning. I can't, but I can, I can react to it in the best way that I know how and the most constructive way I know how. Now she wakes up in a bad mood. Um, because I again, where I say I'm not I'm not perfect, right? I used to. She she'd be in a bad mood when she woke up, and what would my immediate reaction be? 
Why are you so pissed? Why are you so mad? Why, 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 why? And then I try to fix because I'm a fixer. So what I had to realize is she, okay, yeah, she's mad, whatever, whatever. Go, go off. You know, I'm not, I'm not actively like kicking her out of the house, but it's like, babe, go do whatever you have to do to get your mind straight. I'm going to take care of the boys. Me and me and the boys are going to sit and be nerds or whatever. Um, and just give her that, that moment to kind of clear her mind. Because what do I expect when I'm mad? Do I want, do I want bombardment? Do I want people coming up and be like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? No, I don't leave me the hell alone. I'll deal with it. And if I need help, I will ask. Now, the danger in that in that mindset is if I need help, I'll ask, right? I am to the point now, and I wasn't always this way, where I didn't ask for help because I was too prideful and I felt weak asking for help. And I think a lot of guys are like that, where, you know, you, you, you think that asking for help equals weakness. And and people can argue this this point, and that and that's completely fine. But what I've found is it takes a lot more courage to ask for help than it does to bury your emotions in and because we all, you know, you, you can say, Oh, I don't do that, I don't do this. Guess what? Everybody has their little their little tick that they do when they're when they get depressed, when they get down. Some people it's a bottle, some people it's cheating on their wife, some whatever the case may be. Um it could be gambling, it could be bad yeah. it could be abusing pornography, uh, not, it could be anything. not treating your kids well. I, and, and like you said, that, that's the amazing part about it. And, and it's funny, when you mentioned wife, those that we're in closest relationship with, and my wife will do this too, um, you know, my first reaction is like, why are you always, and, and then I'm immediately requiring her to go on the defensive. Mm-hmm. And, and so then uh, I'm deflecting what she's trying to get from me because it, it caught a nerve. Mm-hmm. And even if I know 100% for sure that she has overblown the issue or, or, or is not seeing it for what it actually is, um, my reaction needs to be appropriate and it yeah. needs to be uh, supportive and it needs to, and it's taken me a long time. So you and I, you know, I'm almost a quarter, well, I am a quarter century older than you. And that does not diminish the fact that we can have a strong and hearty and healthy relationship because of shared experiences and your intentional vulnerability along with my desire to be more vulnerable because you're allowed to sooner than I was in your maturation process Mm -hmm. and your upbringing. uh, Some of that being with your family, some of it being what the Marine Corps taught you. Yeah. I mean, because the organizations that we work for, whether we choose to use them or not, give us a template for how to be better. We have these guidelines at work and SOPs, SOGs, operating manuals and procedures. But in life, it's just like, yeah, just go out and do it. So as kids, we used to play games. Mm -hmm. And as adults, we play the game. Mm -hmm. And so going back to be that creative, that collaborative, that that joy-filled human being uh, comes down to the vulnerability of of being a child Mm -hmm. and being an adult with that same. And I want to read a quote. Yeah. it's a Brene Brown thing, uh, and I, and I just she's pretty awesome, even for dudes. Uh, the first one is, and, and I'll, this will resonate with people, and this is Brene Brown. If you aren't in the arena also getting your ass kicked, I'm not interested in your feedback. I agree with that on many levels, and I, and I even uh, tweeted or retweeted it. It said, sounds pretty good to me. And 
also they might see my blind spots because I because they haven't been what I've been through. Mm-hmm. They're more they're less deluded mm-hmm. in, in some cases, and and they don't have the fragility of the trauma that I've suffered caused myself to be able to see. So yeah, I agree with that to a, a, a big, big degree. But the one of hers that I agree with even more so is um, daring greatly means the courage to be vulnerable. It means to show up and be seen, to ask for what you need, to talk about how you're feeling and to have the hard conversations. And that's another Brene Brown quote. And that's the one that after seeing that in our conversation today, I try to lean more heavily on that. Mm-hmm. Because in in the opportunity for me to, to start that first conversation with you. And for those of you that don't know Joe, um, I don't know how tall are you-ish? I'm 11. Okay, so I am just a tiny bit taller than him. Uh, but he, he's a, a brick bleep house, right? <laughs> he, he, he's cut really well. Uh, he's I, I know he's going on this kind of like almost paleo. It's, it's a lot of protein and fresh fruits. He's cut about 10, 12 pounds. I can see a discernible change since I went to Florida. Um, He's got a, a another little rowdy dude that that he rolls with that mm-hmm. uh, that kind of showing him the way, and I think it helps with mental clarity and spiritual clarity, and and it's certainly discernible in in my observations of you. But he, he's a big imposing guy, and at the same time, his heart is on his sleeves, and that may be the death of him. And at the same time, he'd rather live his life being the true dad, son, father, husband, uh, officer, marine that is giving life rather than taking it. And, and that, well, and, and so to, to your point, you know, I, I understand, I understand the, the perception that people have of me. I, I understand it, you know, cause I look at how, how we as humans interact with each other. Um, so I, I understand. Um, however, one of, one of the things that, that I, that I had to really come to terms with is, um, you know, in, in this journey that I've had, Right. We, we, we try to do, we try to beat our head against the wall and, and think it's going to change the outcome. You know, I'm going to keep doing this thing because this is the, this is the only thing I know how to do. So I'm going to keep doing it, but I'm not getting results. And then we get pissed. Right. And then we, and we go back and we kind of take, you know, a breath or whatever and then go back. But over time that we just give up because it's not working. So one of the things that I've, that I've really, realize and, and and having boys and you know offspring people that i am raising has really helped me um in admitting my faults right understanding where i'm weak and i want to be better for them so how do i how do i become better than i am today well i ask questions i admit that do i know everything about fitness no absolutely not i don't so what do i do i go out and seek knowledge from people that know more than me. Um, am I the best shot? No, I'm not. So what do I do? I go out and admit that I am, well, first off, I admit that I am not the best shot. And I understand that. And then I go and seek, okay, who's a better shot than me? Okay, I'm gonna go pick their brain. I'm gonna go figure out what, what makes them tick. How, how are they so much better than me? And then, but, the, but then you, you take that blueprint and then apply it to every single aspect of your life. You look at, Okay, how do I become a better father, a better man? For, for people like you and me, I turn straight to the Bible. That, that's where I go. 
because that gives me the blueprint. That's what God wants me to do. And sorry if it, it offends some of your listeners that I bring up religion. Honestly, at the end of the day, I really don't give a shit because that's that's where I draw my strength from. Now, in if you're not religious, there are plenty of people that you can look at. Jordan Peterson's one of them, right? And I do I do listen to him about about certain things, but you have to find because you're never the best at what you do, whether that being husband, dad, uh, shooter, cop, marine, um, what, what whatever in in your case, paramedic, right? You're never the best. So, but how do you become better? You seek out those who are better than you and then learn from them. But what is what what does that entail? First off, that entails admitting that you are not the best. So Ad- humility, right? Humility. Yep. Admitting you are weak and then seeking to become stronger. You have to have that. You, a lot of people, and I've, and I've seen this, and I, you're going to know exactly who I'm talking about when I say this. Some people think that they are really, really good, and they're not, and they're blinded by their arrogance and then but what they do at at their core they know they know this to be true they know that they are weak but they have they're arrogant and they the the facade is oh i'm 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 this i'm that i'm whatever look like look at this and you can you can always tell like look at this cool new gun i have bro i don't give a shit i'll outshoot you with a with a 300 dollars high point you are you are trash and and call them on it because at the end of the day, you know, how, how do I want people to speak to me? If I'm being an arrogant ass, I want you to come up to me and be like, hey, stop being a dumbass. Like, calm it down. You are not that good. Just stop. Recognize your faults. So one of the things I shared in my presentation last week, and, and one of the physicians in there, he goes, ooh, and he tweeted it, and he's yeah, pretty cool. He's a pretty honest guy, but ooh. Normalizing accountability conversations. Mm-hmm. Brothers and sisters <laughs> need to have conversations with each other, and, 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 and let's be real. Because, like, say, for example, I your, your chief calls you up today, and and he doesn't call you for any other reason, but what? So tell me three things that pop in your head when chief calls you in the middle. You're not on shift. You're not on duty. You're at home. What are three things that pop in your head? Yeah, I have to go to work. Um or something terrible has happened. Something terrible has happened. Shit, I got to go to work. Or, you know, a lot of people in, in firing a mess that were at the conference said, what did I do wrong? And am I getting fired? Yeah. Or some of the other things that came up. Because your lifestyle in law enforcement is different than someone else's lifestyle in law enforcement. And when we don't have a cohesive team, one mm-hmm. team, one fight, family first, you know what I'm leading to, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When we don't have that, we don't have the sustainability to survive when somebody hasn't survived. Yeah. Would that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because we 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 want to isolate ourselves, insulate ourselves from the trauma. And when you said that bad call, um, and and you and I have had those bad calls recently mm-hmm. from loved ones and brothers, and and but also from whether it be one year ago to 10 years ago mm-hmm. from people that we know that have died by suicide, mm-hmm. that have died tragically. Um, we're still here and haven't made that choice because of the relationships we've had with other people and the willingness to seek resources that we're uncomfortable seeking, Yeah, but we still did that. And that doesn't mean that we're uh, we should be applauded for doing that. But at the same time, we have a roadmap to get there mm-hmm. and we're willing to share that with you. 
And if you go off a little bit differently and you still get to the same success point in your life, mm -hmm. which is living life, finding your joy and not knowing what tomorrow is, that's life, isn't it? Well, it is. There's nothing in this life that's guaranteed. So we're not granted anything. So if we were to normalize accountability conversations and and and, and our supervisors and our bosses were, were to come just more frequently and we did these things, like when I was on the team, mm -hmm. uh, we didn't always like when our wives came around, but at the same time, we needed the strength at home mm -hmm. to be there if that, oh shit, God forbid happened, right? Yeah. Um, because those those women or men, depending on if it was we had yeah, a female yeah. on the team, were responsible for not only our households, but keeping the rest of that organization cohesive. Mm. Because we we're all individual F-ops, right? But put us all together collectively, we're a pretty awesome organization, pretty good team. But individually, we were fighting battles from the bottle to uh, cheating, to born, to, mm -hmm. to whatever. And we were all as loosely configured within a great system to be strong and, and effective and powerful. What we forgot and what we weren't taught at my age was that we have to lift them up uh, as much, if not more, to sustain us and the trauma, the circumstances of the actions that we have in life back home. Well, let me ask you a question. Would you rather, you're on a team, right? Whatever it could be. It could be a SWAT team, your paramedic team, whatever, whatever the case may be. You're on a high-functioning team. Would you rather have people who just show up and do the job and just kind of pat ourselves on the back like, oh, yeah, we're awesome. We're awesome. Or would you rather have people say, guys, in training, we mess this up. We mess this up. We mess this up. And the list can be endless to things that you have to improve on. But at the end of the day, and, and this is just, again, just my opinion, but I would much rather, and, and you know the team that I'm on, mm -hmm. right? How we do things is the debriefs are brutal. Like I'm talking footwork. Like you took a wrong step here. Yeah. Kind of foot, like kind of, kind of brutal. Mm -hmm. But what does that do? One that like, if you and I were to have that conversation, like Chase, I think you're, you're, you're messing up here. Well, why, why, why do you think that? Not in a defensive way, but you're ignorant to it. So, but, but I've observed it. So, Okay, well, what, what you're holding me accountable? Exactly, yeah. I'm, I'm holding you accountable. And what, and, and I've, and I hope nobody takes offense when I say this, but weak people, weakness wants affirmation. They want to be told, yes, I'm doing good. Yes, you're this. Yes, you're that. But it's all good because their ego can't handle being ridiculed. They can't. That constructive criticism, they can't handle it. And it's interesting because in the right face with the right attitude coming at us mm -hmm. we almost relish in that debrief we almost oh, relish I in that it. adversarial but yet accepting nature of mm -hmm. that conversation uh I, I remember one from from years ago and the literally the only positive thing that i could say when they came to chase what are you doing? and i was like nobody died that was the only that was only the only positive thing <laughs> that i could say and and yep. you understand those food uh -huh. bar situations right mm -hmm. Whether they be from the team or whether they be from over there in Iraq or Afghanistan, mm -hmm. that no one died. And is that the bar that we want to set? You will always fall back to that to lowest the lowest bar. level yep. to where the bar is. Yeah, which is why if you have a bar that's almost unattainable, 
what's what's the, what's the harm in that? We're always striving to improve to exactly. get better because we'll never. So this in the religiosity form, but we all fall short of the glory. We but do. that doesn't mean we don't try every day to raise our mm-hmm. spirit, our heart, our our love, our forgiveness, our vulnerability, our grace. We all suffered trauma. Yeah. Um, so you you were combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about TBIs from a very early age. You had. Um, we're going to get to a point where we're going to start wrapping up our conversation. Oh, man. I know. But it doesn't mean it's not going to be 10 or 15 more minutes. No, and at the same time, um, there's something I know that's still in you that you're dying to get out. And I don't know if that's about combat, about trauma, about recent loss, about how uh, an organization can move forward in the face of adversity. Um, there, there's two people that I know that I, I pray uh, in, in earnest and in without intending to sound uh, hypocritical. Because first of all, I am a hypocrite. I'm a mm-hmm. human being. I make mistakes and, and, and I say things that I don't do. So that, that's the definition of hypocrisy, right? right. Um, so I own that. I, I own that I don't know what I don't know and that I'm not good at certain things and, I'm, and I need to always get better. In the face of recent loss and the hierarchy in your, in your agency, I've, I've spoken to several uh, about us doing this thing it's not team building it's not leadership and it's not mental health and it's not cism and it's and it's not fun and games and it's all those things simultaneously yeah why do we say no why do we fear there was an agency uh three fire paramedics uh in with doctors and nurses and fire chiefs three of them they look back at my wife and said don't tell him that that they're not going to do this this exercise and until the very end, I didn't know. I mean, I knew that I was missing cards, mm-hmm. but they literally hid the cards because they didn't want to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. even though they've seen what they've seen and done what they've done. Mm-hmm. So this agency went to the Parkland shooting. Okay. And so are they still in enough trauma that, that that's too much? Well, it could. I mean, very well could be. Very well could be, right? Yeah. So we have to at least honor and accept people for where they are in the moment. Yeah. Because if we call them out, barring them, okay. When's the right time to call somebody out? I don't think you can know. I don't, you, you, you can never know because you're, you're not in their head. Now, and, and granted, I can only speak to my experience. Um, so if you, if you personally would have come to me in 2012, okay, and, and told me about what you do and you have to be vulnerable, you have to do this, you have to, all these things. I just want you to fuck off in all honesty. I would have. Yeah. And, but why, why is that? It's because I was weak. I was weak. I didn't, I, I thought that, well, I'll just deal with this on my own. I can do this. I can do that. Well, no, you can't, you can't do that because all that's going to do. And, and it took, it took me getting to the other side of this to realize it. Right. I was going down a certain road. Right. And I thought, that oh I can just continue because you know it's not that bumpy it's fine it's whatever you know, it's all good I'll be fine yeah but at the end of the day what you're missing is this super highway that's right out of right like you can still see it but you don't want to recognize that oh man that asshole's a lot better or that that road's a lot better but you're so stubborn and so ignorant that you just nope I'm just I'm just gonna keep going I'm just gonna keep going because it'll get better it'll get better it'll get better no it won't. Won't get it won't get better, and in in that that fortitude and strength and that stick-to-itiveness, albeit a an admirable quality, mm-hmm. 
in the face of not using your compass for those of us that are old enough to have used compasses or you still had to at least shoot back azimuths and know how to do that oh, yeah. when you're in the army mm -hmm. uh, but we actually used them when i was growing up um before we had compasses on our phones or on our cars and, and and all these places like you said the path is there yeah the resources are there we just have to be vulnerable enough to ask for them which is glaring strength in and in, in, ladies and gentlemen a marine combat veteran and I'm not going to make the mistake of what are you was in a battalion <laughs> slash company slash again, you know, uh, mad dogs, infantry, deadly canine weaponry. We kill with guns and knives. That was our platoon's motto and so on and so forth. Um, and we, and we literally talk about killing ladies and gentlemen. Uh, today we're talking about living. We're, we're talking about living our best life to be the best husbands, fathers that we can be. Mm. Um, no, my eyes not leaking. Um, we're talking liar. about finding, yeah, you liar. liar. I'm looking at you. <laughs> Jerk. Uh, we're, we're talking about finding our joy, like my wife called my butt out for uh, several years ago. Uh, have we been in your shoes? Yes and no, because we know what you're dealing with. And at the same time, yours is completely different. Are there people and places and uh, situational opportunities for you? Yes. We can lead a horse to water. We can't make them drink, right? Mm -hmm. What about the act of love of just being beside that person? I think that's the biggest thing, just showing them that the that the support is there. And, and you know, guys like us, um, we tend to tend to think of like the the touchy feely, like, "Hey, brother, it's it's okay. You know, you can you can talk." Okay, about brother. It. Yeah. yeah. It's like you, <laughs> with with those guys, it's like, bro, get away from me. Like, I don't know, no, no. But if you come up and you know, excuse, again, excuse my language, but if you just walk up and be like, "Hey, what the fuck's wrong with you?" You know, do, do you respond to that? No. No. I kind of do in, 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 in certain. So in, it depends on who it is. I was going to say, I, I think that's the, the key. Who and where? Yeah. Who it is and where do they ask mm -hmm. me this? Mm -hmm. Because if they're going to make me be vulnerable and I don't want to be in the wrong place, mm -hmm. they're going to see a different kind of me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And hopefully it's the one that just quietly turns away. Yeah. You should be able to read the body language. And be like, oh, OK. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but where where people should where people should get to, and granted, I'm I'm still not here because I I always have my bad days like anybody else. But um, what I try to do is if somebody if, and, and it doesn't matter who it is. Granted, I wouldn't divulge things to certain people, but um, you know, typically if 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 someone I'm not comfortable with comes up to me and is like, "Hey, what's wrong with you?" You know, I'll brush it off. I'll be like, "Hey, no, nothing. I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good." But Take that same, I, I am in the exact same spot, the exact same time, the exact same place, but it's a different person. And they come up and be like, hey, what's wrong with you, bro? Can we go like talk somewhere real mm -hmm. quick? You can't be afraid to do that. You, you just can't, you just can't be afraid to do that. And that, it may be on shift. Who knows? I've had people cry on shift yeah. before because of things that, that we dealt with, you know, or, or things that, that happened five years ago. That I wasn't even there for. And they, at, at this time, this place. So you always have to be ready to be vulnerable. You always have to be ready. And you always, at the same time, you always have to be ready to accept vulnerability from others. Oh, big, 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 big. And um, it's interesting you say that. Uh, I texted you that there was an incident in our neighborhood yesterday. Mm -hmm. And uh, massive law enforcement presence, fire EMS. Um, nobody died. Nobody was hurt, fortunately. 
uh, the, the one of the persons involved messaged me this morning and said, you know, da -da -da -da, thank you for this and that and the other thing. And I don't even remember most of what happened. Mm. And, and my response was, aside from you're welcome and, and I have no idea what I would have done. And at the same point, I'm grateful to have been there mm -hmm. to support you and your, your loved ones. But at the end, you know, we talked about very, very early on in our conversation about mind, your mind not shutting off. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't sleep well. And you know that mm -hmm. from why I'm up at two or three in the morning. And mm -hmm. Do I have a lot of unresolved trauma? I don't know. But I do know that I'm re resolving trauma. Mm -hmm. And I do know that I'm a work in progress. Um, well, aren't we all? Well, yes. And, and I pray that. And that's what I said to this person. I said, I pray you remember nothing and live in the blessing that they're safe. Mm -hmm. And we don't have the luxury of, of, of the whole safe part because of what we do and what you signed up to do. Um, this incident had nothing to do with public safety other than those that came yeah. to take care of them. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what they do. And had the outcome been differently, there would have been upwards of 20 people that would be having some sort of vicarious trauma that they'd be dealing with now. Mm. And fortunately, all of those that came to help are able to, to sleep tonight that this, or last night. Yeah. This isn't something that's going to weigh on their minds ever again. Mm. But for the person that lived that trauma, that, that ended up being a very good outcome, yeah. they'd never been in that situation before. So when I told you about the, 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 the Vietnam combat Marine mm -hmm. that I went over and helped, mm -hmm. and you're like, is he okay? That was the first question you asked. I didn't even tell you. I mean, I said, I got this. And you said, is he okay? Mm -hmm. You know, and his wife just died uh, a few weeks ago. And I said, man, I got to be more intentional about checking in on people. And if we just do that as far as good humans and good neighbors, mm -hmm. I don't like Hillary Clinton. And at the same time, I get her comments about it takes a village to the yeah. degree that, you know what, whatever your village is, whether it's your church community, your neighborhood, your family, or a combination of all of those things. Mm -hmm to get you to where you need to be to living your best life, being the best person to live in your joy. Mm -hmm. I think that that's valid. Um, politics aside, um, if you can accept, and, and you've shown a good example of no matter what your background is and has been and the traumas you felt mm -hmm. from traumatic brain injury to the things that you've seen and done uh, and had done to you by other people. Uh, I'm honored that you've shared what you've shared. Your vulnerability is a, as a massive strength. It's like you're, pushing up 315 right now and you're smiling, <laughs> you know, you're like, I've got this vulnerability piece until mm -hmm. you don't. Right. And, and that's the thing until we don't. So when a brother says, or a sister says, yeah, I'm okay. And you go, yeah, but are you okay? And then they look at you, then it's time to have that conversation. Well, typically, you know, I, I won't, when, when I can, you, you know, can you read body language and everything and you can always tell um, what my default mechanism or default response to that is don't lie to me. No, you're not. You're not okay. And if you don't want to talk about it right now, that's fine. But just know that you're not okay. You need to talk about it. And for some people, they never will. Yeah. And, you know, and again, but like you said, we have to be okay. They're just not ready to yet. And, and that's fine. But um, what I hope, what I hope people can take away from what you do from this conversation is being vulnerable is not a weakness. It is a strength. And um, you'll find that, now granted, I have my rainy days just like everybody else. You know, I'm not perfect. I, I have my days where I just want to tell the entire world to go pound sand. But um, 
since I started implementing radical transparency, vulnerability, um, and understanding these things, it's on the upward trend, I'll say. My life's getting better. I love hearing that. Uh, we're we're going to wrap it up. Um, I want to end with a quote. I, I wrote down radical transparency and vulnerability. Um, I think that's going to be the title of the podcast of, of this episode. Okay. I, I think that's uh, quintessential. It kind of nails it, nails it home. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you shared a lot. I appreciate that. For the viewers that caught us swearing, we're sorry. Uh, Gems, if you have to bleep them out, I get that. Um, but it's real. And, and, I, and, and I appreciate Gems and, and the listeners for allowing us to have real conversations, mm-hmm. real talk with people. Um, and I'm saying that, uh, out there, but another really cool quote that I, that I found, um, and and this is a fact for any person that's in my life, whether you're a listener to the podcast, a first time listener, um, a 12th time listener, however many we've done now in a year, um, a coworker, um, an associate or affiliate coworker. This is a fact if you're in my life in any capacity and I need to do a better job with my own family and loved ones, which is the, what my wife calls me out the most for. Mm-hmm. You could be up at three in the morning talking to so-and-so because you're in crisis. But yet when I share with you something, you have to go in a hole. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I love you, uh, Stacy. You are right. If I can affirm you in a better way, not just through the podcast, I will continue to try to do that. I know I suck at it. Mm-hmm. Um, promise me not to hide yourself when you're in pain. It's unfair that we laugh together, but you cried alone. If we have, if we're, if we're strong enough to have a relationship where we can, where we can be uh, bros and beer drinking buddies and and, and smile and, and just come to the verge of, of, of having a little bit of a allergy issue with our eyes mm-hmm. leaking, right? Or a little sniffly sniffle, um, you know, we, we can go all in yeah. and, and, but the thing is, is let's continue to build that road of trust, you know, fix the potholes. And, and sometimes it's, it's about being open to accountability. Yeah. And being called out for your bullshit. Um, You've called me out a lot. Uh, There's this one game we play. It's called Mind Meld. And for ladies and gentlemen, it's going to seem weird. We're looking directly at each other. And on the kind of three, two, one, he's going to say a word. I'm going to say a word. We're going to say it simultaneously. Then we're going to spend a second and see until we can say the exact same word simultaneously, unless it goes off the rails. But we're going to say a word in three, two, one. I was going to say go. So three, two, one, podcast. Ah, okay. So say it simultaneously. Three, two, one, failure. Okay. So failure in, in microphone. Um, three, two, one, vulnerability. Oh, vulnerability, accountability. Okay. So and we'll do two more, ladies and gentlemen. Vulnerability and accountability. Three, two, one, radical. What'd you say? Person. Okay. So mind melt. The reason that we did that, ladies and gentlemen, is is when you're in a group of people, a social, a religious, whatever the case, they don't always have to think and be like you, and you should accept them no matter what. Mm-hmm. But when you're working on a team, when you're an operator, when you're in law enforcement, when you're a paramedic, when you're a firefighter, and or in the emergency room, you're a physician, and you're in the ER, in the back of the bus, in, in the uh, armored vehicle as you're getting ready to be liquid and... and, and and, uh, you know, go out there and do your job. The big thing is, is you want to be on the same wavelength. So mind melt is something that we've done to try to get our brains working in the same 
manner mm -hmm. because we're Wi-Fi connected and the positive traits are the negative traits. You've given me so many positive things to think about over the course of our, our uh, work relationship yeah. that I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you as well. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the EMS Improv podcast where we engage, where we are mindful, where we share or tell our stories. And our story today was a Marine, a father, a son, a husband. I said was a Marine, is a Marine. Mm -hmm. uh, he's an active veteran of the Marine Corps. He served in combat and he serves his community uh, with Esprit de Corps. Um, I say Semper Salus to you is, is a uh, Army vet. I understand what that means. Uh, we had with the uh, company that I flew for, Semper Salus, uh, all of those things about giving and, and receiving. Uh, the radical transparency and until we meet again. Thank you very much. Love you too, brother.